Welcome, Wheatland family and friends. Thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. I am Luke LaDuc, senior pastor here at Wheatland, and I am joined weekly by our co-host, Dr. Dan Spanger, professor of history and chair of the Arts and Sciences Department at Lancaster Bible College. As a professor of history, Dan is a bright mind and engaging lecturer, and as an elder here to our Wheatland family, Dan has a warm heart for the gospel of Jesus and our life together as the body of Christ. And I am thrilled to dig more deeply into the scriptures with him each week as we tackle questions, explore connections, and generally unpack the sermon from the previous Sunday. Along the way, we'll take a few side streets, a winding road or two, but we'll never be quite so lost that you won't enjoy the scenery. Thanks for coming along. Welcome, Waitland community. This is Cross Reference. Um, I've started keep calling myself the host. I don't know if I've ever been given that designation, but it just feels like the right thing to say. You can have it. And I think I should. I need to use like a radio voice. This is yeah. Cross Reference. I just. <laughs> I don't know if I told you or you or Luke this, but I was actually at one time recruited by Disney to do voiceovers. Really? Yeah. yeah. Back in oh. seminary, and I'm. Well, tell, tell a little bit more. I know it's not necessarily pertinent, but I actually want to hear this. No, like, it's, it's not terribly uninteresting story, except my children hate me for it now. Um, because they, I was joking around with some people who worked with Disney. I just happened to know long, long, just connections and all just forcing around. And they were like, oh, we'd like to have you anyway. And I, I got all excited. I was doing Disney voices and old villain characters and whatever else I was doing. And then they handed me, before I signed the contract to come in for training and all, they, all these things I had to agree to. And I was like, I don't agree with any of that. Gay marriage and all this stuff. And this is back in the 90s. So oh, I said, wow. I'm sorry, I can't do this. And I, I've told that to my children, hoping that they would say, oh, dad, you're such a principled man. Oh, yeah. When and instead, all they strong. can say is, you would have been a voice? <laughs> <laughs> Frozen? So, you could have been Tom Hanks and all the Toy Stories? I know. And I, 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 I botched it. I probably just would have done commercials or something. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what wouldn't surprise you and anyone else listening is that I have never been asked to do voiceovers <laughs> with my voice. That's really interesting. <laughs> well, it's another one of those stories in my life that goes absolutely nowhere. It has this really neat beginning and then just dies. So. Uh, anyway, well, anyway. At least you had that beginning. That's right. At least I can say, well, at least I, I had a shot at it. At least <laughs> I failed. There's something in that. Well, uh, listeners across reference, this is exciting. A couple of times that Keith has preached over the summer uh, was hard for us. To, or I'm going to just blame myself here. Hard for me to get um, my legs under me and get back to the podcast. But this week we've got Keith um, and two weeks this week and next week as he's walking through the flood. So kind of excited about this. And Keith, one of the things I've noticed, and we've done some podcasts, at least for the two pastors and a professor, we're doing the gender one or headed back into that one, that you and I haven't talked directly in this front or at least about preaching and about sermons. And I wonder if you could, just before we jump into the sermon and the text, just unpack a little, because I think we all know that there's two very different styles when, when Luke preaches and you preach. And I think there's, there's just a different approach. There's, I've heard a lot of people say when you preach, there's clarity. People understand fairly clearly what you're saying. Um, you have a way to tie into people differently than Luke does. And I think you had mentioned something about the fact that when you, uh, when you approach a text and when you start to unpack a text, that you're really interested in, in getting it down to something that is digestible and manageable. 
Um, has that is that is that a correct is that a correct uh, characterization? And if so, how, how is that? How does that drive you in your in your sermon prep? Yeah, it is. I I think I found pretty early on in life that I'm not smart enough to come up with something new all the time. Um, so when I think about sermon prep. My hope when I communicate in the end is that I communicate something that is digestible. And it's maybe even something that certain passages, it might be the same point that you've heard before, but hopefully I can do it in a way that grabs your attention and makes you think anew about it. So maybe it's not something, maybe it's not a brand new idea that I'm putting forth because I don't know how many more new ideas there actually are out there, <laughs> but that it's that I take the particular text and as you said make it digestible or make it somewhat simple but hopefully communicate it in a way um that that you hear it and you hear it uh in a in a fresh way or some way somewhat new and hopefully make connections i mean at this point everybody wheatland knows that i try to tell stories and i like to tell stories <laughs> and i also like to tell stories about myself which i think or my family or my experiences which is another Thing, and I hopefully use those to try to draw attention back to the text. I had a seminary professor um, who he told us, and I'm not saying this is 100% true, but he told us to never, ever tell a story that you don't have any connection to. Hmm. He's like, please do not tell any stories in your sermon where you say, I don't know, just tell, tell a random story about other things. And I don't know if that's completely true because I've heard plenty of other stories that pastors tell and they don't seem to have a connection to it, but I can still relate to it as a listener. Mm. But, but that has tended to be the way that I tell stories because I feel like if I'm connected to it and if I can connect something in my life to the topic or the, the theological point that's happening, then I imagine that people can connect with it as well. Because yeah, I, I think if I compile the stories of you, I'm building a second Wonder Years sort of <laughs> sitcom in my mind. I've got all these funny basketball happenings and classroom politics and all sorts of things going on. So, and I, and I, I can't remember my youth very well just because of old age. So, I'm starting to insert myself into your stories if that's okay. Yeah, now you have my youth. I yeah. apparently played in the state championships now. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, I so know. It could be, yeah. Because because this is and I think this is as you as you mentioned, this is this is a tough passage, right? So, what's the challenge then in in trying to make something like this? Which in one sense, it I don't know whether maybe I've used the word digestible, not you, but in one sense we can't, right? We can't we can't actually get our minds around what it's like for God to wipe out several thousand years, possibly at least from genealogy, several thousand mm -hmm. years of population growth. Um, for this reason, and yet, in one sense, we need to get our minds around it. So, how how do you navigate it when it comes comes to something like this? Yeah, well, it's interesting because in the sermon, I I poked fun or challenged us to to not look at the story and think about this story in the sort of um, flannel flannel graph, right, right. which I remember distinctly. Yeah, so yeah. so I I was making that point. And then on Sunday at around 2.30 in the afternoon, while I'm sitting at home a little tired, I'm thinking, wait, I said not to do that, but I wonder if in my attempt to make this uh, some, like for us to sort of boil this down to something and make it digestible, I wondered if I actually did that in an adult way. Mm -hmm. So I poked fun at what we do with our kids by saying, oh, this, this story, if you really think about what's happening, 
it doesn't make sense uh, to have it on flannel graph or Legos or have little sing-songy things with it. Like this is, this is, it's horrific. Right. I mean, when you read this story and you think about the logistics of what is happening uh, inside and outside the flood, I mean, particularly, I mean, inside and outside the ark, particularly outside the ark, but this would have been no fun little thing inside right. the ark as well. And you think about what's happening uh, around Noah and his family, I mean, it, it would be horrible. Yeah. And so I think we've done a disservice to our children when in an effort to boil this down to something, um, we've made it almost seem fun. But then I was reflecting on that on Sunday afternoon and thought, I wonder, I didn't make it fun, but I do wonder if I tried to simplify it in such a way that did the same thing we did with our kids, which is make it so digestible and so understandable that we lose the the awe of God and we lose how how bad our sin and our evil is uh, when we in comparison to a holy God mm-hmm. and I wondered if I I did that I mean no one came up and said that oh Keith you did this but <laughs> but but in the same way that when we do that to our kids it's sort of uh, our kids might not recognize what's happening I wonder too if I simplified in a way that is yeah harmful might be too strong, but not helpful. I, yeah. Um, and I, I don't know that was my feeling from it. I think um, even when you, even when you, um, you know, jokingly, sarcastically, I'm not sure which adjective you or adverb here you'd approve of, but talked about the onesies, onesies, twosies, twosies, which you know, as I remember having children now, how many, you know, pattern sets you could buy with fun little animals <laughs> all poking their heads out of this microscopic arc. And, and I thought, yeah, that's, that's a fair point, right? There's a there's a wonderful painting Michelangelo has in the Sistine Chapel of the Ark, and and the, its pictures the painting is done from people trying to get to high ground, and so it shows the Ark in the distance as it's rising, and it shows people like struggling, cripples everyone, and it's a, it just shows the judgment aspect of it mm. rather than you know the uh, yeah the sort of flannel graph model you're saying, and I, I don't know for myself, and I'm I'm speaking for me, I don't know that I I had the sense that it was oversimplified. In fact, I think when you got into it. There were several things really helpful when you when you said when you start talking about the impact that it's having on the people on the ground. Um, I think even that shift is really helpful for us because it, we'll, we'll read the text from the perspective of Noah, which I think that was another thing. And I don't know if you want to unpack this a little, but I appreciated the fact that you know the the idea here is there's not a lot from Noah. I mm-hmm. I, I really like that because I, I think when when we all read it, we all want to talk about Noah the champion, Noah the hero, which is how all the ancient myths work. It's always about this. Gilgamesh or whoever that has this, you know, does this thing. And then your story was, yeah, Noah's the background player to God, who is the main player, which I thought was, was probably the most important thing for me anyway, in rereading the text, that that's how we come to it. Um, yeah, it's interesting how, um, and I, I think this was a shift for me last week. Um, like we're all still learning and, and growing. It's, it's interesting when I, when I've thought about this story, I've often thought of yeah, Noah as a hero, um, and even God like made him out to be a hero in a sense. But I always thought of Noah as a hero, and God as the one to be disturbed by in this pic- mm-hmm. in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, that I I always thought like, great job, Noah. You, you're the you're this righteous person and blameless, and so of course God picked you and rescued you. And then I and then my tendency would be to think like, God, what are you doing? Um, mm-hmm. And question God. Uh, not thinking at all about all the, you know, 
chapter six, verse five, that there's like, this just the world is covered in, in evil. Every thought is continually evil and God looks at the world and is, just is grieved at what's happened. Like I've, I've tended to read this story uh, before last week with Noah being the hero and, and then I have questions about God and God, what are you doing? And, and I'm not saying having those questions about God, I'm not saying that this story is so palatable that you shouldn't um, try to unpack and wonder like right. about God's goodness and his love and his justice and all these things. How do these all work together? I think those are good questions to ask and things to struggle through. But definitely there was a reframing, not because I read it and was just thought I came up with it on my own, but just reading other people and seeing it, it really shifted my thinking and even shifted the sermon away from talking about Noah's obedience, even though that is there. I mean, Noah, Noah obeys, well, until after the ark, uh, the story after that is immediately of drunkenness and, but, but Noah's, Noah's, he seems to, he obeys and there's no sense of him complaining or questioning or trying to get out of this. And like, could you pick somebody else? Could someone else speak for me? Because, so there's no, there is no sense of that, but it does seem to be, this is all about God and his love and holiness and how do those two things work together when it right. interacts with creation well that, there's a bit of a contrast too there with, with what luke was, luke was talking about with the nephilim and this these men of renown where moses or excuse me Noah in this case is not a man of renown but god is a god of renown and to make it about him and i think there's there's a lot of parallels like i think that helps us reread a lot of things because even when you get to where moses is writing this their king is not moses their king is yahweh so they're supposed to see him. They're supposed to get to know him. They're not supposed to, I mean, they can get to know Noah. You're right. There's a modeling going on here, but as with all the patriarchs and saints, they all fall and fail. Um, but the point is Yahweh does not. And I think the, that reshifting is just, I think a really helpful way to reread it because it is so counter to the other ways that that historical event called the flood was evaluated by other cultures. And they probably Gilgamesh, they were probably all talking about Noah. They just had this totally different read on who Noah was and what he was mm -hmm. doing. When you think about this story should, yeah, proclaim the name of God in a sense, like this should be elevating his name. And then you get to Babel afterwards and it's all about the people trying to make a name right, for themselves. Right, right. And so when you read this story and as Moses sort of writes it down for the people and the progression of this, like this story is meant to, to show, to showcase God hmm. and, and how he is King and Lord over creation. And at, at, and he can say words and through his spirit and through his control of wind and rain mm. and the cosmos, he can, he can do something uh, either to completely rescue the world or and create it brand new or to destroy it. And then you've got people in Genesis 11 who like, we're still not getting the picture. We still want right. to make a name for ourselves. Right, and we right. we want to be in charge and we want to get up, up to heaven and be like the gods. Yeah. 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 And that's good. And I, I guess if you compare, jump back to Moses, who's leading the people through the Red Sea, having led them through the Red Sea. The God that brings the waters is the God that parts the waters, and the God that sends the rains is the God that sends the locusts. Like, I think they, at this point, they would have gotten a fairly holistic picture, should should have had one, whether they were able to follow it or not, golden mm. calf, you know, notwithstanding, that there's this God is just a different God, and they would have had some fairly good windows into his character and his power from their own experiences. And I, I can't imagine, like, like, going through the Red Sea seeing that happen and then hearing the story of the flood knowing that god calls waters when he wants to call them uh, for judgment which he then 
folds back in on the on Pharaoh's armies and brings judgment that way as well. Um, and that, that that goes to something, and I, I know this has been something we've talked about uh, with Luke a little, and it's come up with people in the congregation that are listening, that some of the things you and Luke are doing, which is trying to get us to understand that a lot of what Moses is thinking, the ways he's thinking, has been informed by the culture he's in. And so they're using phrases and terms and things that the people of Israel would have understood. And you, you mentioned a few of them. Um, but you, you, you made this one statement, I think, that captured a lot of that in your discussion when you, when you said, I don't know if this is exact ver, uh, verbatim quote, but it, you said, reading the Bible is a cross-cultural experience. And this idea that you actually have to admit the fact that you need to get back into a different culture to understand it, and there's some work to do there. Um, can you unpack a little bit what you were asking us to think in that, in that statement? I, I don't know who says it, but I think it's, it's interesting. Someone says that the, the Bible was not written to us, but for us. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I love that. It's, it's, it's a tiny little thing, um, but it's helpful for us to see and remind ourselves that every single one of these uh, books or letters and gospel accounts, they're all, they're all written to a particular people in a particular place at a particular time. But then they're also through the power of the Holy Spirit for us, and and we can unpack them and we can understand them. But but it does take a bit of it takes a little bit of work. Uh, I was talking with someone and they were talking about how when I when I said that or they and they've heard that sort of idea before they picture themselves like in another country with a little fanny pack. <laughs> uh, walking around visiting. I did not and picture it, myself that way. <laughs> you didn't picture the fanny No, pack. I didn't. Uh, um, and so they, they would just said, I picture that, like walking around and any, everywhere I go, I, I have this little, a, a few tools in my, hmm. in my fanny pack that help me understand and, and also just remind me that some of these things are going to be difficult for us to 100% to grasp because it wasn't necessarily written to us. This was written to a particular people at a particular time. But that this is also designed for us, for all people throughout all ages. Uh, and this is God's word for us. And so I think, I think it's helpful to, to start uh, there, recognizing that there are going to be some, there's language and stories and things that will have connections that we don't immediately have mm. those connections. The danger with that is that we think, well, I'm not going to understand it because this is written yeah. somewhere. This is okay. Well, this is this is in French, and I don't know French, and so yeah. I, I I guess I guess I can't. I shouldn't expect to understand it, so I'm just going to glaze over. And if there's something I don't get, I'll just skip it because I it's written in Hebrew or Greek, and, <laughs> and I, I, how, how am I supposed to get it? That's I think that's the danger um, that we could we could give up or think I can't understand. Um, so I think. Yeah, that's where it's helpful for us to frame it, but also we have to be careful of the danger that, oh, we'll never understand because this was written right. to a people and Moses is writing this to a people who've just been exiled or rescued from Egypt and now they're wandering in towards the promised land. So how am I supposed to get this completely? Is there, is there another danger here too? And this is the one I hear people as they're starting to think this way, which I think has been very good. I was just talking to a parishioner the other day who said, you know, a lot of things are going on in Sunday school and the pulpit are new for me, they're changing, but he said, I, I really enjoy it. Like it's, it's making me, it's showing me more dimension. So I think I don't, I don't, I'm not sensing myself from people I know that this is a great concern, but I think there, there could be one to say, oh, if this is written to a people too, then it's not accurate. It was written by Moses and he wasn't, he wasn't had a factual information. 
he was just writing on his best. So then sometimes we, you know, in comparing, let's say the, the Babylonian, the Mesopotamian, um, the, the ancient um, and, the, and the biblical version of, of the Genesis, hey, these are three different myths going on. And just so you know, they are all related because all the people thought the same. But then the question comes up, well, isn't this one the true one? So, for example, in the in the sermon, the idea that you're, yeah, they, the cosmology was that there was a water above and beneath, as it was the, the the space itself was probably waters. That's the best way they understood it. So, when the waters above and below in in the flood story are released, you know, is is that factually not true? Just because they they didn't understand the world right? How, how do we? And I, I know this is a tough spot to be put in, but how if 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 the cosmology they had in their mind is what's determining how they're relating to it, were they right or wrong? And then were things like this true or false, um, or we just read them as that's just culturally how they looked at it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's the right true. answer. I know. That. Yeah, yeah, it's it it is true. I it's yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting question, and I think I love having these other flood stories, hmm. and hmm. and I I mentioned it at one point. I love having these. I don't think I said I love having these, but I do. I love having them because for me, the biggest thing that it shows is. Hey guys, this happened. <laughs> so, so if anyone's out there struggling with, I just don't know if this actually happened. Like guys, it did. Like there was a drastic, all-encompassing flood that did something major to the earth, uh, and did and was so significant that all these cultures, when they're writing a history about the world, they're all writing about it. Hmm. Now they all have different interpretations about what was going on. Um, and because we believe in the triune God over creation, and we believe that the scriptures are God's word, mm. I believe that this is, this is what was going on. Mm. So they all agree that there was a flood. They all agree with so significant that we better write about it. Mm. Um, what they don't, what, what there's disagreement on is what actually was going on behind the scenes. Mm. What, 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 does, what does this mean? And, and I believe that the scriptures are true. And so when we read this, oh, this is what it means. This mm. is what was actually happening. This is this is Israel's God. This is Yahweh uh, acting because of the evil and and hatred and violence in the world. He acts in this particular way, and he does so intimately connected to people and intimately connected to his creation. Mm. Um, and so, I I think that's the big. I haven't read like some of these epics, like the Epic of Gilgamesh. Some of these are pretty long. And so I've just read bits and pieces. They're way longer than uh, our flood story. And I, I've read bits and pieces, but that seems to be the drastic difference between mm. this story and others is that God is intimately involved in his creation. Mm. And he's never, he's never intimately involved in an antagonistic way or some of, these, some of the stories, the gods are like, it's, it's basically humans are their slaves mm. in order to, to feed them and make them happy. And there's never any sense of that with God in our in this story, in the in the the right interpretation, the right history in a sense of what's going on. Yeah, I think some of the it's funny, I think even our own presuppositions would be that yeah, this is a story, but it's specifically ours. And so we can claim its its viability comes from the fact that it's the, it's the only one out there. But then you hear comparatives, especially the fact that Noah's story comes so much later. Than previous stories and you go oh he's just he's just repeating 
but but this is true of anything that the historical event needs to be explained to us if there's a historical event that's real that happened and there are misinterpretations which is a historian this is what's called history it happens <laughs> every historical event um, is looked at and then evaluated and then said here's what happened and then everyone's got their own interpretation of it that this is a historical event as you say that in fact thankfully god in his grace revealed to us why it happened and who was involved so that we understood who god is in it so i I thought that was, that was really helpful. And I think that does put in perspective what these other myths are about. They're dealing with the same historical event. They just, they, they have a, a totally skewed view in who the gods are. Yeah. Not of you really ultimately who Yahweh is. Yeah. I think of it and it's not a perfect relationship, but I think of it uh, with Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount who keep Sermon on the Mount who keeps saying over and again, over and over again, you have heard it said, but mm -hmm. I tell you this. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I feel like that's what Moses is doing with the creation right. story and also the flood story. Okay. Right. So you, we've all heard it said that this is what, this is how the world was created. We've all heard it said that this is what was going on in the flood, but I'm going to tell you the truth. So I'm going to clear things up and I'm going to clarify right. the things. And so that's, that's how I picture, that's how I picture these, these, these big stories that Moses mm. seeks to clarify. It's the same way that the Holy spirit in the same way later comes in and says, you've heard it said but I tell you the truth. And, and for me, that's, that's a helpful way to frame it. Yeah, it helps yeah. me not, it helps me not, it helps me put it on a different level than all these other stories, right. because I think that's what Jesus is doing. He's saying, oh, well, you've heard, you've heard teaching this way. You've heard particular rabbis unpack the law in this way, but I'm going to tell you as the ultimate rabbi, I'm going to tell you the truth. And this is right. how you have to, this right. is how you have to live out the law. And that's how I like to frame this idea. Yeah, I think that's really that's, that's there's a lot of clarity in that, and I think this goes back to the point you made towards the towards the at least in my notes it's towards the middle end of the sermon where you said yeah we can get caught up in asking a lot of questions about whether it was global or regional. So the, the question is what is the truth that God is clearing up? And I want to go back to where you started some of this conversation, which is this is about God. And I think the way you said it, and again I don't know if this is exact, but I like these three these three things you put in this about God's judgment about his righteousness and about his grace and ultimately about his recreation. I don't know if we got there yet. I know that's coming, but ultimately that's the truth that we need to see. And the sort of geological implications for how the flood happened. And probably the ancient Israelites weren't interested in geological, you know, things, but they did need to hear God is cleansing the world and bringing it back to chaos so he can recreate it. That's, mm -hmm. that's the truth. And that's what we need to learn about this, which quite I, I think is exactly right. What the Israelites needed to know about their God was all of this is happening. Because I, I wonder, and I'm not asking this really, but I'm just thinking out loud, how many of the Israelites walking out of Egypt that day understood what was going on around them? Mm -hmm. I mean, God only talked to, to, to Moses, and there's, there's, I forget the number of, of it's a couple hundred thousand of uh, Jews, Hebrews that were walking out. Many of them probably had no idea what was going on. They were just told mm -hmm. to hunker down in a building with some land flood over a door. And then the next thing they knew, they were parked in front of a river, a part of a, a sea with an army at their back. <laughs> but they didn't, they didn't know that they had to have that explained to them later, too, which is what probably Moses was writing for their sake. Yeah. So this, is, this seems to be a pattern, like you say. He, I, I, here's the fact, but I'm going to explain it to you. We have to have faith to believe that he's giving us truth. What you're saying there with, with the Israelites and, the, and crossing the Red Sea, it's, 
what happens in here? Yeah, it's, it is so similar and it does seem to be a pattern that God, um, not that he keeps restarting. I, I don't, that we've called, Luke and I have called this uh, inside the office and outside in sermons, like an, <laughs> this act of recreation. Yeah, yeah. And that there, there is this sort of pattern there. What I don't want to make it seem like is God just keeps starting over. He keeps starting. Oh, like, yeah, like yeah. God's fail, his ideas are failing and he keeps starting over. You can read, you could read the Old Testament that way. That like, oh, he's got to keep starting again. And like, that's God, a dispensational like, view, kind of. Yeah, like God, get get it right. Um, so that's not, I don't think that's actually what's going on, but there is this, it's definitely told in a way that there's a recreation here, that things when when Noah and his family are in the ark, there is there is a, a chaos, there is a formlessness and a void mm-hmm, to the earth mm-hmm. because I assume he looks around and sees nothing but water. I mean, <laughs> like this is it. And so, and then this week when the water subsides and the wind blows and and God brings his earth back again, in a sense, I imagine Noah's experience is similar to the Israelites after they crossed the Red Sea. It's like, okay, you took us through here. Now what? Right. <laughs> and, and that's why I love that we'll get into this week. Like God reestablishes for his people what the pattern of living, like what is their responsibility? What does it look like? What does it look like to live as my people again? Mm-hmm. And that's what's fascinating with the story in the Exodus because the same thing happens. They come through the waters. There's a sense of now what? And God gives them the law and says, okay, here, this mm. is how you live as my people. And that's what will happen here in mm. Genesis 8 and 9. But, but as of last week in 7, you're in the waters. Yeah, there, there's chaos all around you. And you're, you're thinking you're rescued because God did promise it. And Noah seems to be trusting in, mm. in Yahweh. Um, but they're still like, wow, this is still, this is still chaotic. This is, I mean, this is, this is is the Israelites in the midst of the Red Sea, making it through to the other side. And it seems like there's going to be hope. But when we get to the, if we get to the other side, what, what does that mean now? That, what's yeah, what's right. life going to be like? Right. Um, and I think that's where the story, the way we divided it up, that's where it seems to leave off. Well, that, yeah, because I think there's a couple elements in there, which if we want to get practical as the Christian and how we live this out is one, knowing that the wilderness we're in is the result of this 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 really miraculous salvation where the spirit has enlivened our hearts and brought us to christ in our baptism and now what <laughs> now the long dark of moria right because yeah. now now you've got to live with culture falling apart and problems in the church and personal difficulties and disease so yeah and, I, and it seems to me that yeah you could say that recreation is this almost sense in which god just can't get it right or it's just in the fall this is what he's called us to to mm-hmm to find our hope in what he's already done that carries us through what he's about to do. And what he's about to do is a wilderness and it's difficult. And this, I think of the disciples and I often say, you know, it was really something that all these disciples stayed with Christ at the end. Then he left and they're like, well, what now? <laughs> now we got to start this thing called the church in Rome. Our King is not here anymore. Caesar is yeah. killing us. But that, that seems to be the normal pattern of God's redemptive work for some reason, not that we prefer it, but that's what it is. Yeah. And it's interesting. So I, I talked about salvation through judgment, that this is never a, this is not a, a, a hidden secret, like elevator ride out of here. And we don't get catapulted to another world until everything gets all better. And we come back. Um, And then it was funny, actually uh, yesterday, I found out that there was a guy who wrote 
an entire biblical theology um, that was published like four years ago called Salvation Through Judgment. And I would have really oh, loved okay. to have access to that. Last a little week. late to that. Uh, yeah, publishing I know. Option. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Darn it. Uh, I wish I could have at least read a little bit of that last week sometime. <laughs> but so I didn't make it up. Um, but that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's our experience. I mean, if, if Christians are honest, and if we have a even remotely realistic view of the world and what's going on, like that's, that's what's happening in, with the Christian life. It is, we, we have, we have been, we have been justified, been given salvation uh, through Jesus on the cross. And now this salvation gets worked out uh, throughout our lives. And we must constantly be reminded by God in different ways that, Hey, even though sometimes it doesn't seem like it, I am King, I am in control. Uh, I am Lord over this creation. And even in the midst of confusion and difficulty, even in the midst of what may look like chaos, I'm still right here, sovereignly caring for this. And I'm bringing it toward something, even when you don't see it, which is the experience of, of, of Noah. It has to be. I mean, like, like, like I said, he doesn't say anything and we don't get this inside look into Noah, but we're human. So we can have a guess about what's going on with Noah. And it's, and he would need all those reminders that, that we often need because he had this promise from God uh, in six and seven. Hey, I'm going to rescue from this, you from this. I'm going, I'm going to make a covenant with you. Like he even says that I'm going to make a covenant with you. Uh, and so, you know, there's this hope, but we've all been given that hope as well. We all know that we have this rescue and salvation and, we, and it's still really difficult. It's still right. hard to live continually trusting in those promises of God. Right. And that just, I think that goes to the point that the, the Christian, it's a normal thing to believe that waiting is proof that God has failed or that this thing is a fiction, you know, that, well, I don't, I don't see anything happening for all the promises. And so therefore God is not doing what he's supposed to do. And I think one thing I love about the scriptures is it actually faces that. And you, you actually talked about that a little bit, that the scriptures don't shy away from this. They, they, they go right at it. They, they look right in the, right in the maw of this whole thing and say, look, this is, look at, look at Noah, who's out here for 150 days or whatever the number is before God even says, I remembered him. And it's not that God forgot, but we feel forgotten. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Noah certainly yeah. felt forgotten and God didn't seem, seem to want to rectify that for whatever reason in Noah's life or his people's life for whatever reason. But I think that automatic assumption from the world, but certainly from the Christian is, if God has left us to wait, then he's failed. And I think time and time again, the scripture said, don't, don't make that mistake. God calls you to wait, calls you to long waiting, but that waiting is an indication of God's patience, not an indication that he's not working. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I often say this just in my own life, trying to figure this out is I've got a, I've got two things to believe my eyes or my faith. My eyes tell me it doesn't make much sense. My faith tells me it has to. And Noah, as you say, went through it, and Israel went through it, and Moses, for heaven's sake, waited for the one thing he never got. He never even got to go into the promised land, which is what he worked so hard for, for 80 years. I love yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why I think one of our daily prayers must be, like, give us eyes to see what you are doing, because we know, God, that you are doing something. Right. We know that every single day and every single one of our individual lives and broadly in the world, you are doing something. You are moving towards your ultimate end. And, but we can't see it all the time. Right. And so, so give me the eyes to see the little things that, that remind me that you are 
that you are committed, that you have a covenant steadfast love. Because I, I know it and I read it and I believe it, um, but, we, but I do want to see it uh, right. more often than I, than I do. And that's, that's me being human saying like, I, I want to hold to all these things and I do hold to all these things, but it is really hard. It's really hard to stay committed uh, when I don't see things around me. And, but I think, I think that's, that's bad vision on yeah. our part more yeah. so than it is that actually there is nothing happening. It's, it's, it's bad vision. And it's, that's why it has to be our prayer for the spirit to, to give us that. To help us see right and then that struggle is us. very normal i think that's the other thing that that really happens here is it's normalizes that this is this is not abnormal to us it's the it's probably the most normal thing for any of god's saints is to go through the period of waiting as you said being faithful in the chaos noah having to remain and hold the course now maybe he didn't have any options there were no escape escape hatches or or inflatable you know boats he could have run out away from screeching animals and <clears throat> annoying children but he nonetheless nonetheless the story shows a consistency of building and i i meant to look at this how long it took him to build the ark but it was a awful long time yeah 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 months and months yeah yeah there's yeah i, I read i was okay. yeah i read all sorts of things because i was trying to figure it out because like you're trying to do the math on all these things so it rains <laughs> for 40 days and then it was 150 days it seems like the water went up and then god remembers no then it seems like it's another 150 days for water to go down but then there's like months after that that it seems like they hit a mountain, but then there's months more that they're waiting for the water to get out. And I'm like, wow, this theoretically could be, I mean, this is over a year. And to think of that's right. a long time. That's a long time to wait for something. And it's really a long time to wait for something when there's nothing else going on. <laughs> like, like there, there, there is nothing else going on. It's just, it's just your family and somehow taking care of all those animals, however that yeah. practically worked. <laughs> And that's, that's it. And you have relationships with, with seven other people and, and that's your social network. And, right. and it's, it's, it's a long time uh, with very little happening and a long time to question, will there ever be anything else that is happening? Right. And, and I think that's where we, we very quickly get to is, is, is God really doing something? Is God really loving? Is he really, um, yeah, is he really caring for us? Because I look around and it doesn't seem like he is. I right. was thinking of something, and it relates to that idea. I think that we, I'm thinking of it now. And I said earlier, I don't like to think out loud, but here we go. <laughs> um, yeah, like we, I think it makes, it makes sense in a, for us because we're human to read this sort of story and, and think about what's going on and question whether God is loving or just. Because of our view of what love and justice really is. Um, and we struggle, but I think it's because we struggle with what love actually means and what it means that if God is love and what um, it looks like for God to act in a just way. Like all of us have a strong desire. I think all of us culturally, we have a strong desire for, for God or someone or something to stop injustice. But then it's interesting because that's what this story is. Like this, this is a story of God stopping injustice and bringing justice but then we don't like it <laughs> yeah and right. so like this is this is a deep longing for all of us and it's like it is a current longing in our world that like we want injustice to be stopped and here is a story where sin and evil and violence um gets cast away 
But then when God does it, it's like, oh, well, no, I don't want, I don't want injustice dealt with that way. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's just, it's fascinating how we, we want God to be loving. We want him to be just, but then we also want to get to define how God is loving right. and, and just. And that's where I guess where I come back to, we just have no concept for how bad evil must be mm. for a holy God. Like right. what our sin right. must really be like for God to look at my sin. Right. Like I, I have no, I have no concept for that, how bad it must be for God to look at my depravity and all the things that I do that I think, well, it's not that big of a deal. Like, come on. Okay. I sin, but I trip up and I, I ask for forgiveness. Like what God must feel about sin. I, I think we have no concept for that in it, or at least no, we don't have a, a good understanding at all for that. Well, that, that I, there's, there's helpful instruction there because i think when we think of justice we always think relationally like one person on another person and then justice looks like rectifying that relationship but what you're saying is that when we think of justice as, as an idea or injustice the reference point needs to be the holiness of god mm-hmm. and then when you're asking for justice you're not asking for my preference or i want people to be nicer or i don't want people to be mean you're now talking about whether or not humanity and morality lines up with the infinite and holy creator of the universe, which I think is right. I mean, that's biblical, but I mean, if, if you could say our culture struggles in any one area, that's going to be the area we're going to get tripped up because we, mm-hmm. we've got justice nailed down to a certain set of, um, you know, contemporary moral values that we really hold important. And we expect that God will uphold those. And he doesn't seem to be upholding it here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. in Genesis. He seems to be upholding a character that doesn't agree with our sense of it. And this goes back to what you said earlier for me, which is this is our opportunity to get to know God and maybe mm-hmm. maybe at least approach a little bit proximately to what you're asking us to do, which is we actually need to see this story as a way not to, and be offended though we might be, to actually get back to God and say, okay, now I know more about who he is. He's a God that in his righteousness and perfection, this is unacceptable. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like when we read this, and when I struggle with it, because I do and did a lot last week and still do even this week, it's, um, it's, it should be all of our Habakkuk moment where it's like, no, God, do, do something, God, about this. Like, come on, I can, I'm a human. I can look around and see that the evil is all over the place. Do something about this evil. And God says, oh, okay, I'll do something. I'll, I'm going to use Babylon. No, don't do it that don't way. Don't do that. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. And then eventually Habakkuk's just like, okay, I'll be quiet. Um, and then I'm just going to praise you because he got to know God in a mm. way that he had to hadn't before. And so because he, mm. in, in some way, he got to know God better, his only response is to be quiet for a little and then, and then to praise God. Mm. And, and, I, and so I think the lesson for when we read the flood story, is that not like, no, be quiet. Don't, 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 uh, don't struggle. But it's that in the midst of that struggle, our desire should be to get to know God. Right. It shouldn't be to solve this in our right. minds. Like, oh, right. I, now I see. Now I see why God did it this particular. Now I understand it in my human understanding. It should be, oh, like I'm recognizing more and more how God is holy. And actually he is loving and just mm. all at the same time. And, and that brings me to to be stand or sit or lay right. in awe of who God is and what right. he's doing. Because there was a tendency really to, and I, I said this in Sunday school class, this past Sunday is trying to deal with the incomprehensibility of God. 
just why we need the scriptures, which is so great that we're having this conversation for me anyway, is because the tendency on the opposite side is to take what we know to be right and good, and we simply just amplify it or we compile it until we get to, oh, if this is what I call good, then God must be the best of that. If, if I think goodness is niceness, then God must be the absolute niceness, niceness in all the universe. And so we then we get those categories we've compiled up, and then we come back to Scripture, and we go, oh, that, this can't be right. God wouldn't have done that. He, he, he didn't really kill the Canaanites. That was Moses misunder, or Joshua misunderstanding or something. Mm -hmm. but, but the way you're talking about it here is to say, whatever your preconceptions are, when you come to the Scriptures, they're going to get challenged. And there's the struggle is to say, I, I would not expect God or like that God does this. And God says, then you don't know who I am yet. <laughs> mm, yeah, and then we've got a real yeah. problem on our hands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We, Luke and I talk a lot about uh, the sort of posture that we long to take and would like Wheatland to take is that we are faithful to the scriptures and compassionate to our neighbors. Hmm. And the tendency is always to fall on one side or the other. Right, right, um, right. But then the reality is when you fall on one side or the other, you're actually not doing either of them. So like if you're not compassionate, then actually you're not being faithful to the scriptures because, because God, the Lord, the Lord is compassionate. Um, but then if you're just like, I'm going to, I'm going to hold the line on the things that I, that I read. Um, I mean, if you're, if you're just saying, I'm just going to be compassionate but, uh, and so I, I'm going to need to give up on some of these things here in the scriptures. Well, you're actually not being compassionate. You're just being nice. Like, right. like the word that you right. used. And it's interesting how in mm. our, mm. in our struggle, we do like us, our desire for God just to be nice is I think us falling off on the, mm. well, let's just be overly compassionate, uh, putting the word compassionate in quotes, because it's not actually compassion if it's not tied to the scriptures. Right. And so, yeah, like our longing sometimes is just for God to be nice, but then now there's no faithfulness in there. Mm. And so because being faithful to scriptures and compassionate to our neighbors is so difficult, when we see it playing out, which is what this story is, mm. this is faithfulness to God's goodness and love and justice, and also it's compassion. For his people mm -hmm. because it's hard for us to live that way when we read it in the scriptures it's hard for us to to it's, it's hard for it to sit well with us it doesn't sit well because our tendency is to not be able to hold these two things together mm -hmm. but god does it perfectly all the time and so i read this story and think oh this is god being faithful and compassionate this is god living out exodus 34. This is God being merciful and gracious. This is him being slow to anger. I mean, there's thousands of years likely of his patience here. Mm. This is him abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's mm. keeping his steadfast love for thousands of generations, as you see after this, but it's also him punishing like the iniquity and sin of these the fathers and grandfathers and the third and fourth generation. Like that's what this story is. Right. This story is God living out what he calls himself in Exodus 34, mm -hmm. but it's, it's hard to hear and it's hard to listen to, but it's God being faithful to who he is. What's refreshing about that is that it's, um, I think there was always this tension that we are going to come to the scriptures and then we're going to change them so that they look like us, or we're going to come to the scriptures and the scriptures are going to change us. And mm -hmm. I think for the modern Western person, we're always, we're always in this mode. We're trying to prove it to be right. I want to know that I'm right. I want to prove that it's accurate. I want to be able to show the world I'm a Christian and they ought to be. And not, not that that's not a viable and good thing that we ought not do from time to time. Apologetics has its place. But the scriptures may not be the place to reprove God is real. It might be the place that God changes us to become his people. 
And I, I just, I think sometimes, and I've, I've had this, you know, question with students, you know, why do you read the Bible? Well, I'm trying to understand that. So that's good. But is the Bible actually changing you day by day? Is it actually altering your affections? Is it actually teaching you to see that that's evil and that over there is good? Because I think going back to Luke's sermon about the, about the fruit of the tree, to determine good and evil is exactly how we got into all this mess. Rather than accepting God's definition of good and evil, which apparently wasn't even comfortable for Adam and Eve, for heaven's sake. Yeah. <laughs> they <were in> <laughs> It's yeah. not gonna be comfortable for us, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, and it's and and that's that story of trying to de- determine good and evil for yourself. I mean, that's like you said, that's what draws. That's what creates this story. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> yeah, like, that's what that that's what created it. Oh, because, we got here. Yeah, the people are trying to determine their own what what else what is good and what is acceptable, and God looks down and says, "This is just this is continual evil." There's right. there's one person that seems to be standing out in his faithfulness and commitment to me um but otherwise the whole world is running around just yeah autonomous as living as autonomous people deciding oh this is what i think is good this is what i think is good there's no desire for yahweh to shape who they are except except with noah Hmm. um yeah and and this has been a big part of your i know you're in luke's ministry to wheatland is to see the church as exactly that space which I appreciate you you putting words to it, this idea of compassion and faithfulness. So I hope that there's some, I hope that resonates because I, I know that's how you've led the church in the, even in your, in your new, new members or even from the pulpit or just in the way that you've ministered to people in the church is to say, this is the space where you come, not because Pastor Luke and Keith know what's right and are going to tell you what's right, um, but because we're all committed in this space by God's ordained plan to be reshaped according to his gospel. And be reshaped according to the love of one another and be reshaped by his holiness, which makes the whole church experience rather exciting. But in the context of the flood, it, it really is very daunting, too, because, as you say, we don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And we won't understand it. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to fully understand what's happening from the pulpit that God is doing in me. But he is trying to reshape me, which may be something that I don't get quite. But I need to. And I think you would you made this one statement, um, the idea of Noah not being a model of escape but a model of faithfulness in the chaos. Um, and that as the, as the water is, is going back to this uncreation, he is supposed to stay obedient and faithful in that. And he's not saying because it's uncreation, it's failed. It's I'm going to stay obedient to God, even in the middle of that. And isn't that what I think, you know, you, you and Luke have been trying to do with helping us understand why we're at Wheatland or in the church. To be faithful and compassionate at the same time, uh, is I think it's the most difficult work, but also I think it's the only good one. Right. Uh, it's and so that's why it's difficult when we see God acting in that way. It's difficult for us to to accept it because it's hard. Um, but also it's really difficult to live that way, and it's only possible even in the slightest way by the power of the Holy Spirit and God working in us. Because mm. we, it is so much easier for us to just land on one one of those sides it's mm. it, it's just so much easier it, it comes naturally to us right. as humans uh to do to do one or the other and when we're reading this story and the scriptures in general like you said it's a constant pleading and asking for god to shape us more and more into him his image which is to be faithful and compassionate so like god please more and more make us like you you created us to be in your image um, and then in this, this week, we'll see it in the, in the story after the flood, God, God reminds this idea of what it means to be an image bearer and what, how does that practically look? 
And so he's reminding Noah, hey, you're an image bearer. This is what it looks like. This is how you need to relate to the earth that I've created for you. This is how you need to relate to one another. And this is how you relate to me. Hmm. And, And I just gave you an example of that, of this faithfulness and compassion. I just showed you what it looks like to be to be faithful to something. And yeah, it's, it's difficult, hard work. Um, and it's never loved. Uh, mm-hmm. You don't get the praise mm-hmm. of people in the same way that people read the flood story and they don't right. instantly praise God. Like, wow, that was perfect. You did just what you needed to do. Uh, we have all sorts of questions and, and it's difficult. Uh, and I think it's the same thing for us if we try to seek to be faithful and compassionate at the same time. Right. It doesn't mean everyone's going to look and say, wow, great job. Like, I see what you're doing there. That's, that's right. impressive. You're really being a good neighbor. Right. Um, right. Oftentimes people read it like we're being too, fa- we're being too committed to the scriptures of the truth, or we're being, right. we're too focused in on love. Um, people will try to pull us in both directions. Well, that's hard because we're struggling to figure it out. At the same time, we're not getting the support from people that don't understand us. In fact, we're getting quite the mm-hmm. opposite. They feel, yeah, if you're, if you're holding the scriptures, you're a hater. Um, because you don't love the way we love. And then you're trying to say, no, actually, I'm, I'm loving the way Christ did. And like, well, how was that? And you called a woman a dog and God killed the Canaanites. <laughs> mm-hmm. They try to we're trying to figure out in our own community about what it means to obey God and to be formed by him in a world that sees that as the exact wrong thing to do and the hateful thing to do. And for our people, I know for me, how to navigate that so we feel confident that we're on the right track, even though we know it's a struggle in the church and it's rejected outside the church. It feels like um, it just. It feels like yeah. There's no. There's no space, and maybe that's what the church is providing for us: a space to actually wrestle through that. Because it's not going to be easy in the church, but it should be supported and loved and encouraged, which I think it is at Wheatland. But it doesn't mean that when we do it, we're going to get the laud and honor of our culture and say, "Wow, you guys are really great." Yeah. And, yeah. I, I always hear that. I'd like to hear that. My, I'll get my my brother said he's a missionary in Germany, and he said he went to Germany. And he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to live. And then, you know, you've heard this, you know, I'm going to live in such a way they can say, what's different about you? You know, and then Stephen tries to live out the gospel in Germany and he looks like a hater and a bigot. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. not asking, wow, you're really loving and kind. They're asking what's wrong with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm, I'm obeying Christ, which you, you don't understand. Right. So it's not like it's lauded and appreciated. It's quite the opposite. Yeah. And that's why I think we have to be so careful to not uh, live in a particular way. So we get a particular result. Right. Like we, right. we just yeah. like, we, we know that we shouldn't be living like result. We shouldn't be results oriented with our, with our lives. We know that we should be faithfulness is the call. It's not right. a particular right. result, right. but we still tend to live with, okay, I'm going to be faithful because I know that eventually it's right. going to produce the result that I want. Right. And it's like, it, it might, but it also might not. And so, yeah. so the, the goal is still faithfulness, no matter what the result is, it is yeah. faithfulness. Because as soon as we attach the result, even if it's 90% faithfulness, but oh, 10%, I really want that result. Um, as soon as we attach that, eventually we will, we will be moved away from being faithful because it's not producing what we want. Right. And I'm not saying we shouldn't have result. Like I, I long for all of my family to to love Jesus and to trust in Jesus and place their family, place their trust and faith in Jesus. Like I have, there's things I'd love to happen. Right. Um, but, but my role is to be, is to be faithful to God's right. call in my life. And I pray for these other things to happen, right. but in no way can I ever allow the lack of things to happen that the lack of things happening around me to, to mean that my faithfulness right. is worthless. 
Well, that's a two-edged sword too, right? Because I think one sense we want to be appreciated. And the other sense, sometimes we know we've really ticked the world off. We've gotten it right, you know? And mm -hmm. I, I, I can hear that among some cultural warriors in the church. They say, boy, if we're living out Christ, then we're really drawing in persecution. And sometimes you do something that Christ would call you to do, and people on all sides of the political spectrum would applaud you and say, oh, that's not right. You know, we're, we're doing something different. The world on the left or right shouldn't like us. And it almost yeah. seems like on both sides, that's not the that's not the determining factor of whether you're obeying Christ. It's whether you're being faithful, whether the world likes you in the moment or hates you in the moment. It's almost in one sense or another, you know, irrelevant to the fact that you're actually being faithful. We've taken Jesus saying, don't be surprised and the world hates you as a, a goal. Right. Like, well, <laughs> well, no, Jesus, well, shoot, say, achieve that yeah. One, yeah. Jesus doesn't say do something to make the world hate you. Right, he right. says, be faithful, love each other, care for one another, uh, and hold on to my truth. Um, and then, but don't be surprised if, if yeah, right. doing all those things doesn't mean that your neighbor loves you right, or right. people in your family think that all of your decisions are great. Don't be surprised about it, but don't go looking for it. Right. Uh, don't be surprised if you're persecuted, but don't go try to get persecuted. Right. Um, that's, yeah, that's not the goal. The goal is, the goal is faithfulness and, and Jesus prepares us for all the things that will happen around right. there. Right. And like, it's funny because I think about this story too and like the images I have of the flood stories that Noah's faithful and everyone's laughing and mocking him. Like it's what we've seen and every, every, every mm -hmm. depiction of Noah has that. I'm not saying that didn't happen, but um, if it did or didn't, that didn't mean that Noah was doing, doing it right or right. doing it wrong. He was doing it right because God said, do this and he did it. Right. Whether, no matter what the people around him thought he was, whether he thought he was crazy or whether they thought oh maybe there is something there it doesn't right. matter what they what they thought he was being faithful right. um now he could be faithful and be a jerk and that well, that matters like no you can't do that no you can't say you guys are idiots you need to hop on board with me but it seems like noah is faithful and we don't have we don't have any record of how his faithfulness is um is viewed by the rest of his family and by the people around him what's important is that God has these promises he's committed and then Noah responds in faithfulness and God continues with his steadfast love through the whole story. Now, Keith, I, I, I want to say that in the sermon, I, I didn't discover this until after the sermon, but, but you, uh, you may have entered heretical territory. And, <laughs> yeah. And I, I just want to call you out in front of everyone here that we've, we've worked, you know, with Luke through, you know, several months now, if not more than a year on some doctrinal positions that you seem to overturn just in just mm, a few seconds mm -hmm. at the beginning of your sermon. And I just, I, I want you to answer for it because we've always understood from the beginning that the older brother is a major problem in the advancement of the gospel. And in your story, we heard exactly the opposite. Mm -hmm. And in this case, the older brother was actually doing the right thing. And I, I just, I need you to answer that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't get a lot of chance to, to preach. Luke didn't give me much chance to preach when we did the prodigal son. And so I thought this was my moment. <laughs> and he just overturned the whole thing yeah like look it's a, it's a short story you have heard it said about other brothers but i tell you the truth <laughs> and you chose yeah, when, when yeah. luke was not here to just yeah. invert the whole the whole parable yeah i was really hoping he wasn't live streaming from dallas texas and that he won't and he won't go back and listen i'll just tell him it wasn't good just ignore it but yeah yeah i know it's i it was funny i told my brothers like hey when i tell stories about people i always tell them I'm, I'm going to tell a story about you. Uh, is that okay? Here's the story. Uh, especially with my kids, because 
I don't want in 10 years then to be like, I can't believe my dad's a pastor. I'm so annoyed with this, which that could happen anyway, but I don't want it to happen because of this. Um, But yeah, I told my brother and I said, you might not even remember this story because for you, it was just you being faithful in the midst of the chaos. And it was no big deal. Like, oh, oh, it's not a big deal. We're doing a fire for me. I was overcome by fear. And, and uh, yeah. And so he's like, yeah, I I remember us doing that like burning, but I don't remember like that specific instance. I was like, see, that's, that, that's it. Like <laughs> I, I was the gods running into the, <laughs> running off into the night in fear. And you, and you were not, my brother's not Yahweh, of course, but like you were the faithful one standing there and like, no, I, I got this. I'm right here. And, and everything's right. under control. Yeah. The older brother won out on that one. Yeah. I just, I, I think we've just got a major exegetical problem here. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how you plan to rectify this, but you've just, you've thrown just the hope, whole months of Luke's work off on its ear. So yeah, I'll just hope people forget. Okay. It's, this so, is my first, this is my first, this is my splinter church plant. The people that come up to me, <laughs> the people that come up to me and say, I really like your take on the older brother as well. Come with me, my friends. So we got come a name for the denomination. We can call you the older, the elder brethren, the elder brother, the elder brethren, the elder brethren yeah. church or the church yeah. of the elder brethren. We need another Presbyterian denomination. I so think we do. Another, yeah, yeah. Protestants the, don't a, have enough yet. We're, we're closing in on hundred thousand denominations, yeah, and that's really not quite enough. <laughs> I have to say, as a second, as a second brother, as a as a middle son, I, I take umbrage at your at your discussion, but I'll, I suppose I'll let it slide since I'm not in the yeah. pastor. I don't have remember. You're supposed to be asking what is God teaching you? Oh right, right. I'm sorry. You in the story. Yeah, yeah. And you being his instrument here now, I've learned <laughs> yes. how to read all this. Uh, can you give us any sense then? You've given us a, a few things just about where you think the sermon's going um, as we're looking at the next part of the story. Uh, yeah, so I, I mentioned it in passing, but so now now we move into recreation in eight and eight and nine. And the way I see it is that God, if this is a sort of recreation, God starting, not brand new, but in a new way, I think he has to remind his people what it looks like to live as his people. Mm. So, so that's what I think happens. So he remembers Noah, which is an interesting word, remember, and we'll talk about that because mm. like you said, it's not about forgetting. Um, so he remembers Noah. And then as Noah comes off the ark, um, Noah worships in some way that's really interesting. Like he offers a sacrifice, mm. which is like, oh, where'd that come from? Um, but he, he worships God and then God uh, gives this sort of call in the same way he did to Adam and Eve in the garden and said, this is what it looks like to live as an image bearer. Then he does the same thing with Noah and his family. Mm-hmm. And so, so that's what we'll do that God is, that God continues to be faithful, but now he's faithful in his recreation. And he, he tells us what it looks like to be mm-hmm. truly human. Mm-hmm. Well, that's exciting. And um, I appreciate this. Um, as I told Luke before, I really appreciate going back to Genesis this way, because I think it's it is doing what I think you you both set out to do from this, which is sort of reorient us. And even this story, the way you presented it, is a chance to reorient us back around God and to face something difficult. I, I don't think I don't think you downplayed it. I don't know how much you could upplay it properly to have to face the, the drowning death of however many thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of people, hundreds of thousands, millions. We don't actually know the numbers. Yeah. Um, but but it's real. And it's and the point of it is, as you said, I think at the end is to get to know God and his righteousness and his grace. So a challenge. I don't know that as a as a as a Christian listener that I've I either have gotten that figured out, obviously, but I appreciate the challenge that you've laid out before us. So mm-hmm. and I look forward to seeing what we can do next Sunday. Yeah, thanks. OK, thanks, Keith. We'll see you. We'll see you next week for uh, cross reference. For the next edition of Cross Reference. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. We'll see you. (laughs) 
Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Cross Reference, a podcast of Wheatland Presbyterian Church. You can learn more about our church and discover additional resources on our website, wheatlandpca.org.